1: I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Moera Karatai. Kia ora, Daughter Sam.
0: How's it going?
1: It's going very well indeed. Now, we haven't spoken since Wednesday.
0: No, we haven't. What oh happened my gosh, on Wednesday? Did... Well, on Wednesday, I finally got to have the oral for my uh, thesis and to defend my work. And there wasn't really much defending to do because everyone seemed pretty happy. Um, what I really loved I've been had a lot of reflection took the day off yesterday and didn't do much at all and just thought so much and what I loved was that I had the opportunity to ask the assessors questions about their questions and the learning that came out of that was just so fun and oh I just loved it Sam honestly I would do it again tomorrow if I could (laughs) (laughs) my my favorite part of the whole process
1: I found it quite stressful
0: Oh, well, you would. <laughs> you know, like it's all on your shoulders. But no, I I absolutely loved it. And I love that, Jack, um, my 11-year-old, got to pay, um, be part of it and uh, everything about it. Oh, my gosh. It was truly one of the most amazing experiences of my life.
1: That's good to hear. And we wait a few weeks for, for the results.
0: Yep. And uh, it's hard not to sit down and write. And um, to try and anticipate what any changes they might want because I just you know I there's things I want to say now that are different (laughs) so yeah it's kind of weird eh weird space to be yeah now you're telling me not to write what's
1: up with that (laughs) I'm saying I'm saying jot down some quick ideas and then have the weekend off
0: that's a good thing
1: and who are we introducing today
0: it is a really lovely pleasure to introduce Matthias de Tony, who has who um, is coming to us from Otago University uh, in the Zoology department. He's a biologist who studies WASP behaviour, which I had never given thought to anybody actually choosing to do that. Matthias, it is such a lovely treat to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you very much. It's my pleasure.
1: But welcome, Matthias. You're actually at Zoology today?
2: No, actually today I'm at home. Uh, I'm, I'm currently working between two different jobs and, and one of them is a more uh, research, research assistance related one. And uh, currently doing a lot of like data analyses, data entry. So uh, I like to do that from my cozy office at home. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I've been doing today.
1: And where is home?
2: Oh, uh, I live in Dunedin. Um, and I live uh, in, in central Dunedin, close to the Oval.
1: Were you there during the first lockdown last year?
2: Well, for the first lockdown, uh, I lived in St Kilda, which was really nice uh, because it was, you know, like it's more, uh, it's really flat. So walking around, uh, exercising, no wall keeping, uh, social distancing was, was easier. Uh, for the second lockdown, I was here. Uh, so it was, a, it was a bit rougher, I think, <laughs> but but not too bad.
1: And were you studying, are you you? working now were you working as well as studying last year
2: um yeah so for so last year i was i was a student full-time into 2020 um this year i i I was studying in the first semester so i was finishing my phd uh, and i was also doing some teaching for for the university uh so i acted as teaching fellow for zoology Uh, that's now you know the semester is, is the teaching is done now so i'm done with that uh, so right now I'm, I'm I'm working on this research assistant job, and I'm also uh, doing some research for for zoology as well.
1: So you're going to. We've talked about Mawera's doctorate. We can talk about yours. What was it on? Oh.
2: Uh, yeah, so I, I study wasp behavior. Um, I already commented that, you know, uh, and I think a lot of people don't, don't really, you know, think that people would study wasps or, or wasp behavior specifically. Um, New Zealand is quite the exception, I think, um, uh, because, uh, wasps are a big problem here. Uh, they're invasive. They do a lot of damage to the environment. Um, so a lot of people are, are studying them to get rid of them. Uh, that's not me though. Uh, I, I, I started studying wasps, wasps, uh, about 10 years ago, so so uh, I'm from Brazil originally, so I, studied, I started studying wasps in Brazil. And the reason I study behavior uh, in wasps, of all things, is because wasps are what we call social insects. So like bees and ants, uh, termites as well, these are all social insects. And, and they are, uh, there's a, a fancy way of saying that they live in colonies, and there's a set of rules uh, for their societies to be organized that they follow. Um the reason that are, they're really interesting is because basically uh, in, in, in a colony or in a beehive, for instance, I think it's the most common, like, that's the example most people would be more familiar with. Uh, in a beehive, for instance, you have a bee queen and bee workers, right? And, and they're quite a unique in the animal world because uh, the workers don't reproduce themselves. They don't lay eggs most of the time, but only the queen does, right? And the workers, they care for their sisters. Um, this is quite uh, uh, like I said this is quite a unique phenomenon and in, in, in the animal world uh, and, and even Darwin when he was you know writing The Origin of Species he had a lot of trouble understanding that because he was trying to explain that animals you know like they, they it's the struggle for survival and passing you know and and the survival of the fittest and suddenly you have these super successful societies of insects where uh, most of them don't even reproduce at all don't don't you know they don't fight between themselves they cooperate Um so he he uh, there's, a, there's even a quotation of him. He wrote a letter to one of his friends that you know, like I hate bees because he couldn't understand what was going on um, in, in the bee world. Um, but also, uh, they, pro- also and,
1: they probably ruined a picnic.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, so wasps are, are similar to that. Uh, they have a queen, and then the queen lays eggs, and the workers will will you know get food, and they will defend the nest, and they will, will help the the queen. Uh, Care for for you know they care for their sisters, uh, and I say sisters because, uh, and most of the time a colony only has females uh, for all, uh, except for termites. But for the other social insects, they all only have females, and the males only show up at the end of the colony cycle just for reproduction, and then they die. So, um, yeah. So basically, uh, w- this this whole reproduction thing is is creates this um, special situation where. In most animals, if you're studying action, if you're studying behavior, uh, usually you you want to understand how their behaviors help them survive and help them reproduce and help them get food, you know. Um, And in most animals, you have to do that at at the individual level. You have to study, you know, uh, each individual's behavior. Now, for social insects, because of this whole reproduction thing, um, the colony survival... is is like an added layer of complexity to that because uh, one individual surviving is not, you know, like a work crane doesn't have a lot of impact for the colony uh, because they're not going to reproduce anyway, but they're going to help the colony in other ways. So uh, people who study social insects like myself we can study collective behaviors as well as individual behaviors so that's why there's a lot of us uh, there's a lot of entomologists out there who study social insects and that's the reason behind it this whole you know evolutionary ecological uniqueness of their situation so that's why uh, and, and 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 I came to New Zealand because uh, there's a lot of wasps here uh, I'm not trying to get rid of them uh, I support getting rid of them but um, that's not what my research is about. And just because there's so many of them around, that's great if you're a scientist looking for sample size, like a big sample size, right? So, so yeah, that's it.
1: So you're going to have to give us a bit of an insight into how one studies the behavior of wasps. I, I don't imagine that you can sidle up to one and ask it some questions.
2: <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yes, yeah, so there's there's a lot of different methods for studying behavior in social insects, right? Um, if you have species like uh like bees or ants they are usually more you know on average not all of them but they're usually more tolerant to being manipulated so uh well bees are you know honeybees are domesticated bumblebees are are somewhat domesticated so you can buy commercial hives and and instead of having them in a box you can put like a glass panel over it and just look at it and see what they're doing inside the nest and then you can mark them with paint uh there's all sorts of of methods to do that wasps are, are more finicky um they don't like to be kept in a lab they don't you know it's it's harder for us to put them in a box and study them so um so usually we usually we have to go to where they are in nature and come up with ways to uh study the behaviors we're interested in for my thesis i uh study aggression behaviors so i study nest defense Uh, what do these wasps do when they're angry at someone you know bothering their nests um and luckily for me, that's a behavior they show mostly outside of the nest itself. So um, I didn't have to, you know, dig anything up or, or you know, transfer them from one place to the other. I just had to to bother them enough that they would come out and, and display their aggressiveness, and I could measure that by filming, by uh, obs- taking notes, and stuff like that. Uh, that's you know, that's the way I I did it. So um, and a lot of people a lot of people ask me like, oh, how do you get them to be angry? Because uh, Contrary to popular belief, they are not so aggressive that just by being near them they will attack you. Most of, most nests, most nests are pretty, uh, especially here in the need They tend to be pretty docile on average, um, you know. And at least nests in urban areas where there's a lot of people around, they're used to people. They will not attack you just out of spite. Uh, they attack to defend themselves. So that means that I have to uh, fake a threat to them. I have to. to to present them with a with a, with an artificial threat. That is not really a threat, but they need to perceive it as such. Um, and what we do is uh, I put on a bee suit to protect myself, and we get this long, like, uh, plastic tube. And basically, I just breathe inside the colony using the plastic tube because these wasps, uh, in their native range, like in Europe and Asia, uh, their, their predators are bears and badgers and, and other animals that will, you know, put their snouts inside the nest opening and try to eat them. So this mammal breathing cue, uh, they, they've learned to associate that to a problem, to a threat. So when we do that here, uh, they will come out very angry and try to sting you or, or just fly around very, very angrily. Um, and that's what I did for my PhD, one of, the, one of the methods I used to study them.
1: Let's take the first of your music choices. I'm going to have a stab at saying, this is called Lamento Sedgenteo. No, that's yep, not it. It'll enough. do. Why this one? Yep.
2: Oh, um, this is a this is a very traditional song from Brazil, um, and it speaks of of uh, like the hardships of the people that live uh, in the northeast of Brazil, um, Whereas it's a very dry land, it's a very poor land, and and it's uh, such a to me it has a lot of like strongly uh, emotional value. It makes me feel homesick, and it makes me think of my my roots and my people. So uh, I like to listen to it when I'm feeling homesick.
1: Matej, you're talking about the the wasps um, recognizing the the threat of your breathing. Is that are they is it an inherited?
2: Well, it has. Yeah. Well, um, I didn't. I didn't. I can't answer you uh, with evidence, but but we can assume that it is because uh, one of the chapters in my PhD, we did a, this huge literature review. And also collected some data from citizen science. So we asked people for their observations, and and all around the world, uh, because we wanted to to put together this list of wasp predators for all wasps that that, there, that exist. Um, and because there, that has never been published before. So, uh, you know, you, you can read in some books, people suggesting, oh, you know, bears eat these wasps or birds will eat that other species. But no one had ever compiled all of that together. So that was one of my chapters in my, my PhD thesis was to do that. And one of the results that we found that is especially interesting for New Zealand is that there is not a single uh, report of, of an, a wasp colony being attacked by a predator in New Zealand. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that there are none. We, uh, after publishing that paper, I've heard from some people in the North Island that uh, paper wasps, the smaller ones that we don't have here in the South and uh, in the at least, yet, um, they're commonly attacked by birds when they're very young. Um, but but um, but but the big, you know, common wasps and, and German wasps, the one that nest underground, the ones I studied. Uh, there's not a single report of any predators attacking them, and they've been here for at least forty maybe a hundred years uh, depending on you know depending on the source you use for the first time they got here. So they've been here for many, many generations and with with uh, not a strong presence of, of predators uh, or, or natural enemies. Um, so that probably means that this behavior that they show is it has to be inherited right if there's no way for them to learn that here
1: again, it's probably not part of your research, but why aren't there any native wasps?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I can't, I, I actually, I cannot answer that. Um, it is just probably, um, we, uh, I, I don't know if we ever had in New Zealand, uh, you know, fossil species, I, I couldn't tell you, but it could be just by chance. Uh, you know, New Zealand has a very unique, like, geological story being detached from the continent and coming back and, you know, being submerged and, and re-emerging from the ocean and, the uh, Zealandia the continent so uh, it could be by chance that we never got you know uh in the past no no primitive wasp social wasp species ever got here or maybe they did but they didn't you know uh survive uh, all the changes and, and yeah we have uh we have a very very limited number of social insect species i think we only have few ants that are social that are and also native Uh, we don't have i think social bees that are native um, and definitely no social wasps that are native yeah
1: so what's the the finding of your your research
2: yeah so uh so for, for my phd what i was specifically trying to understand is um we know that there is some variation in the aggression. I mentioned earlier that uh, wasps and the tend to be somewhat docile uh, compared to what you expect from from the group, and that's definitely true for for a lot of them. But there are some nests that are quite aggressive. Uh, and and my supervisor Jenny Ant, before I started my PhD, she did a pilot study uh, in and around Nelson, so and the beach forest habitats where you know the wasp problem is is the worst. Um, because there's so many of them there, um, she noticed that there's a significant variation from colony to colony in how aggressive they are. Uh, so some some colonies will are very docile, some are very aggressive, and that is consistent. So if you if you test them multiple times, they tend to to show the same response every time you test them. Um, and we wanted, to underst- we wanted to understand why does that variation exist, right? So And then just tie that back to why are they aggressive in the first place uh from like a a, from a from a a mechanism you know approach what what causes their aggression uh is there like like we we discussed about inherited behaviors and and one of my hypotheses were there should be something genetic right there should be there should be some gene something they pass to their uh, offspring if they're very aggressive, that makes their offspring very aggressive. So one of the things I did uh, was to try to find this aggression gene in, in wasps, and, and also I looked at different things um, in, in the more ecological scale. So uh, do, does aggression change with age? Maybe you know these colonies who are more aggressive or more docile, they're in different parts of the of their lives. Um, you know, even though they usually live from from November to April uh, ish, so uh, around summer. Uh, but some of them will will have very short cycles. Maybe they'll die in, in January. Uh, some of them will last for the whole time. Some of them will will start their cycles uh, much early, much later in the season. So they'll start around January, February, and they'll live up until May. Um, so uh, and and and. and these different ages, they have different needs because they have more or less brood in their inside their the colony, so more larva, uh, stuff like that, or there's more or less adults. So uh, we thought that maybe uh, they're different just because they're different ages or they're in different phases of the colony cycle. And, and I also wanted to test if they have like a colony memory, right, because maybe if you bother them all the time, they'll, they'll remember... Uh, well, first they can remember that you know this is a bad thing, so I'm going to react more intensely, or I'll, I'll react faster, uh, or maybe because I not actually cause any damage to them, I just you know annoy them. They will understand that you know uh, yeah, just that guy is coming over and, and blowing air into mm-hmm. us, but it, you know he's not going to actually do anything uh, because it's very it's costly for them to show it's you know it's it's they expose themselves to risk. They spend a lot of energy flying around for quite a bit, so learning not to display that if you. You know, recognize uh, something from a past experience could be very good for them. Uh, you know, evolutionarily speaking and ecologically speaking. Um, so yeah, so I, I so I looked for the effect of age and experience in colony aggression. Uh, I I tried to find a, a, an aggression gene that could explain you know more or less aggressive individuals in a colony. Um, and as it's very common in, in, in PhD researches, I found much less than I wanted to, and I ended up with more questions than, than answers, <laughs> but uh, but we did find some very cool stuff. Um, we found that uh, older colonies are, are uh, typically um, less aggressive than younger ones. Um, so if you go, you know, colonies towards the end of summer, um, so like March to, to May, the old the same colonies, you know, like, they'll be much less aggressive than they were in January or February. Uh, and the, the probable reason for that is because they don't have a lot of brood inside the colony anymore. So, wasps are aggressive not because they hate us, but because they're defending their homes against, you know, threats. Uh, they're protecting their babies. And, and if there's not a lot of babies around, they don't have a lot of reason to be aggressive anymore. Um, especially when the colony is full of males in the end. Males, they they literally don't do any tasks in the colony. They, they're, they're just for reproduction, so they don't help defend the nest they can't even sting they don't have a sting um, they don't get food so if, if a colony is full of males and you bother them they might fly out but they don't do anything to you uh, so that's that's another thing um, we couldn't find any evidence for them to learn from past experiences um, so this this colony learning is, is a very complex phenomenon right it has been shown in, in bees before uh, but it for for a colony to learn things uh, on on a long term it means that um because you know like a, a regular worker will will live for 2 to 3 weeks only and if a colony can learn from experiences across six seven weeks which is uh, the time that i measured them that would mean that not only the workers have to learn what's going on but they need to teach that to their nestmates, mates their younger nestmates, and pass that down from one generation to the other uh this is called a culture phenomenon in animals uh, and it has been shown in, and in, 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 has been shown in, in apes or you know other animals and stuff but but it is much it's 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 a very sophisticated mechanism and and i couldn't find any evidence of that in wasps very unfortunately um and for the genetics part, we found that uh, I compared so uh, defenders, so the the you know the wasps that are coming out and, and trying to defend the nest, to um, foragers, the wasps that are getting food, uh, because they we, we have evidence that they are separate groups in the colony. So you know if a wasp is going out to get food, it's probably going to go out to get food a lot of the time, and if a wasp is defending the nest, it's probably going to defend the nest a lot of the time too. So they have different tasks. Um, and, and I wanted to compare them, those two tasks, those two, uh, pardon me, those two groups, because what we hypothesize is that if there is a gene that 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 means aggression, if there's an aggression gene, surely the wasps that are engaging in aggression behaviors will have that gene uh, expressed. We say expressed more than the other ones, right? So we actually we studied not DNA but RNA, uh, which is basically um, a, a, it's a similar molecule to DNA, but that's used for it forms from the DNA to uh, communicate with the cell on what needs to be done. It's basically a messenger, right? And um, so the RNA that we studied, if, if you know, if there was an aggression gene, we, we predicted that uh, aggressive wasps would have that RNA much more visible than the other ones. And, and we didn't find a lot, or we didn't find a lot of difference between them. Um, which is not unheard of as well. It's, apparently, it's quite similar with honeybees, which also have this division of tasks between forager and guard, and they are genetically very similar. So uh, in the future, I would love to do like a second version of that experiment, to uh, but comparing different colonies uh, and not different casts. So uh, it would be really cool to see if aggressive colonies have more of those genes that I already found than do- docile colonies, for instance. Bubble
3: sprite of the forest of Arakanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, namahi arohanui ke koutou ko ho I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you, moi you are a triumph of nature's art perfect and he thinks better thank you now i know for us all that we are constantly contributing in so many different ways, unique skills and gifts to this lucky and whilst of course we have all been conditioned and trained to perceive and understand the world in certain consensus reality constraints we have at all times a wild an innately free, unique nature. And this is a wonderful, wonderful part of being alive, that despite all the messages and all of the learnings that we have done collectively as part of consensus reality, we can at any time enjoy the freedom of our own mind, our own consciousness, our own spirit, our own soul, our own wairua, our own maori, our own energy, our own life force, bounding forth, experiencing and enjoying connecting and relishing this opportunity to be alive and physically incarnated in our current form. It is very exciting. And despite all the trials and tribulations of our current situation with COVID-19 Delta, I'm very proud of us all that we are able to help each other and support each other, to be kind to each other, to encourage and inspire each other, to really feel those best parts of ourselves come forward inner nurturer that lives and loves within us all, that is always waiting to be there to care something I'm particularly enjoying at the moment is really making the most of the opportunities that come my way to creatively explore new parts of Auti Porti Stun Eden finding myself once again living alone in the glorious woman mansion, I'm finding that having that solitude and that space to recharge me means I want to head out and explore more the wider world safely of course and under the important safety restrictions that we have to all function within at this time. So tonight is the opening night for Power of the Dog, Jan Campion's new film and I'm going to be dressing up as part of the red carpet event as the main character Kirsten Dunst is playing and of course this means a corset and all sorts of exciting gold sparkly costumes and travelling back in time to the 1920s and in terms of this sort of creative enterprise for me it's just fascinating really to connect with the ancestors to think what was it like to be alive as a woman in the 1920s and Why is it so important that we understand these stories now? Of course, at all times, it is so helpful that with our consciousness, we can travel throughout time and space, anywhere, anywhere that we want to go. And we can empathise with those that have come before, those that will come after, those that are living now, whatever form they're in. If it's a, a beautiful woman or a beautiful man or a beautiful dog or a beautiful lichen, or a beautiful cyanobacteria, or a beautiful hebe, or a beautiful cawfire, or a beautiful native bat that's just one bird of the year. Whoever it is, there is so much beauty and so much empathy, so much connection in all the lives that surround us. So I really hope that for you today, you're enjoying having a sense of who you are as an individual, but also how you connect to a much wider web collective co-evolution and understanding as time goes on i feel more and more gratitude and more and more hope as we work together and as time goes on i feel more and more awe and wonder at what we are achieving together and as time goes on i feel more and more understanding in terms of what i can contribute and what i see others contributing and how i can celebrate that i want to celebrate that as much as i can every day thank you for all you are contributing. I commend you and I celebrate you, and I'll look forward to talking to you
1: again soon. Thanks so much. Kaikiti. Thank you, Tahu. Yours is indeed a beautiful life. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Matthias De Tony. Mateus, I'm thinking about the the book, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Can we replace the last couple of words of that with Wasp's Nest? Did we can we learn anything from a wasp nest for for how we should be behaving as people?
2: Oh, I definitely think so. Um especially nowadays with everything that's been going on with the world, I think that um you know, uh social insects, wasps, they they uh they're, they're very successful. They're all around us, uh, you know, ants and stuff like that. And I think and the main reason is because they cooperate, right? So the collective good comes before the individual good, and I think right now that's a very powerful message for for a lot of people, there's a lot of people, I think, need to hear that and need to, if we as a society can act for collective good before individual good, uh, I think uh, that's the way to go. That's the, the lesson I would take from them.
1: And I think that one of the things that we've learned in the pandemic is the importance of that that community, that protecting the vulnerable. And you were just talking about how that is important for a wasp nest, about protecting the, protecting the young. Is that a it's hard not to anthropomorphize, isn't it? The, the, I don't know if, are they aware of that? Why are they doing, what's driving that?
2: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I would love to, uh, I would love to, to do more investigations to find that out. So one of the things I'm really interested in is um, because we kind of know that, you know, the whole thing I said before about if you have more brood, they get more aggressive in a nest. Right. And, 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 I want to know uh, how, you know, how one thing leads to the other. Um, They they have to have some awareness, but, you know, insects usually are very reactive to uh, chemical communication, for instance. So I don't know if if they smell a lot of brood in their nest. Does that cause them to shift behavior? Or if they can interact with with larva, you know, when they're feeding them uh, a lot of the time, does that trigger something in their brains that makes them want to be more aggressive? So I can't, I don't know, I don't have an answer to your question, but I would love to find that out as well. It would be a very cool project.
0: Mateus, it, um it's a it's a pretty impressive thing to study wasps, I have to say. But how does one get from childhood to in Brazil to flying to the other side of well, another part of the world to study wasps? Like, w- what happened in your life that led you to this place and this time?
2: Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the, that's a bit of a long story, isn't it? <laughs> I, I've always loved animals. Um... Since I can remember, you know, uh, as, a, as a very young child, I, I've loved animals. I love, you know, I'm super curious. I was raised on uh, David Attenborough um, uh, documentaries and stuff like that. And, and my, uh, I remember my, my dad was getting his PhD when I was very young. And he had access to the university library and then video library. And, and he would bring home like piles of, of VHS tapes of nature documentaries for me to watch. And I love that. I love that so much. Um, so I, I decided from, from a very young age that I wanted to be a biologist. So when I uh, when I started college, I, I, um, back in Brazil, you choose your major before you, you start studying. It's a different system. And I went straight into uh, biological sciences. And in my very first semester, there was a paper we took called Animal Behavior, Um and the classes were amazing it, it it was like watching those documentaries all over again but now you know you're getting uh, the science uh the the behind the curtains you know like intellectual let's say aspect to it and then the why's you know not just the house. and and, and I, I was fascinated by that and i um in the middle of the, the first semester so i was 18 years old i uh talked to the lecturers uh and i said, so how does one study, you know, animal behavior? Uh, and he's like, well, uh, you join a lab, as you know, can volunteer in a lab. And, and, you know, if you're really interested in research, if you like what you're doing, you can do a master's or a PhD or stuff like that. Um, and then I'm like, well, do you take, you know, undergrads to volunteer in your lab? And he's like, yes, I do. Uh, there's some stuff that can be done. And, you know, we always can always use some help. And, and so I started volunteering with him in my first semester at college and he studied wasps and and at first i was a bit you know uh, i was a bit not not disappointed but it wouldn't be my 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 first choice i don't think it would be most people's choice Um, i certainly was thinking of you know like big mammals or or uh, like birds Uh, but so the first you know my first project uh that i that i helped in uh it was wasp husbandry so i was you know caring for wasps in the lab we had like 200 individual wasps being kept in tiny containment, um, and I, I cleaned it up. I fed them. I did all this stuff, and that was—it was very dull work, but it gave me a lot of contact with these animals, right? So I, I got to see them behaving uh, a lot because of that, and 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 that's where you know, like that's when I think my my all my prejudices went away because you, you, when you look at these insects, because we usually don't pay them a lot of mind, and you, when, you, when you when you actually pay attention. I feel like we put them in a different category to other animals where they're just like the tiny robots that just do, you know, they just eat or scuttle or whatever. Uh, but when you when you pay attention to them, you see that they really are animals. They really have, you know, like a tiny soul in them. Uh, you see them, um, you know, like I remember seeing this wasp groom herself. Uh, and the way she she, you know, like, used her arm to clean herself in their head it reminded me of a human you know like playing with with, with their hair and, and i was like oh man that's so cool and, and i feel like that's where i kind of fell in love with them and then you know i started studying the subject um and and reading all about that evolutionary uniqueness of their groups and then i think I, that then i was sold and 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 i continued to volunteer in, in my uh in the same lab uh with with professor fabio which ended up being my master supervisor Um, and then when I finished my master's, I, I wanted to, I wanted to do a PhD overseas, I knew that, I wanted to get, you know, like, uh, experience from, from a different lab, from a different culture, I wanted the cultural experience of living in a different, living in a different country, pardon me, and, uh, so I was looking for opportunities, like, where, okay, I want to, I want to do a PhD overseas, but where, And, and, Back then there was a, a governmental program in Brazil where you could get a scholarship to study overseas. Um, and for that you had to uh, they, they would pay for you know they would pay your fees, your uh, everything and give you some money to live and you, you just get your PhD. Um, it was very competitive. And, and the first thing you needed for that is to have your supervisor or your potential supervisor agree to supervise you. So I decided to get my my rejections from from uh, from, from top down. I, I'm like, I'm gonna shoot for the, the the best in the world that I you know what I thought was the best in the world uh, and to get his rejection first and then I'll move down the scale. Uh, so I emailed uh, dr uh, Robert Jean he, um, so Bob is he, he, he used to be in the University of Wisconsin in the US uh, and he his work he, he, he's like, he's a natural historian, you know, his, he describes so many stuff, and, and, you know, his thesis is is brilliant, and a lot of my experience back then, I had read a lot of his work, his work and I said, like, I really want to study with this guy, and, and he, uh, so I shot him an email, I didn't think he would even reply, you know, to this, you know, Brazilian kid that he's never met before, he replied in two days, and um, Apologizing to me because he's like, I would, you know, like I know of your supervisor. I would love to take you as a student, but I have just retired. I can't take students. Uh, however, uh, here's a list of a lot of people that I know around the world that have research interests that match to yours, and, and a few comments on what they're, you know, like a few on what they're specifically interested in. So he was the sweetest, sweetest person. I was so lucky, and and in there I found the name. I uh, found Jenny's name, my, my current supervisor. Um, my PhD supervisor, and she she's interested in a lot of stuff that I am interested in. She was just setting up her lab here uh, here in, in Otago, and, and I shot her an email. She replied straight away. She was super, you know, happy to to, to have a chat with me. And and we uh, I ended up not applying for that program, which is probably a good thing because I think it got cut halfway through. Um, so I just applied for a normal uh, you know uh, PhD at Otago with a scholarship and everything, and I got it, and and I came here. And, and, you know, uh, one of the reasons for coming here, uh, the biggest reason is because, you know, I had a supervisor whose interests matched mine. Uh, the second one was New Zealand is WASP country. There's a lot of WASPs here. Uh, I suffered a lot in Brazil trying to get, you know, samples for my stuff. Uh, and the third reason, which is a bit of a selfish one, is that I really, really wanted to come to Middle Earth. So uh, I was quite happy to, to come to New Zealand
1: let's take the second of your music choices let's have muse Knights of Sidonia why this one
2: um, I don't know it's it's uh, it's a it's a, it's a very to me very sensorially pleasing song I really like it I like listening to it I I, I first listened to it when I was quite younger than I am now and and It's a song that always, you know, I can't just have it play while I'm doing something else. I have to stop and listen to it and experience it fully. And uh, I I can't tell you why, but I, I really enjoy it.
1: Matthias, I have some questions to end the show with, and not very much time, so we shall have to be quick. I blame Muse, that's a long song. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years?
2: Well, I did did just finish my PhD, so I'd have to go with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's your superpower?
2: Oh, my superpower. Um Oh, that's a hard question. Uh, I think I am. I am. I'm, I like to think that I'm a very creative person, and I am able to to uh, retreat from reality and, and live in the stories that are going on in my mind whenever I want. <laughs> which which can be it's a very useful skill when you're when you're doing something very boring. So I like that.
1: I'm writing that one down. That's a good one. Do you consider yourself to be an activist?
2: Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I definitely think that I am very outspoken in what I believe in, and I tend to. Uh, I, I, I've I've involved myself with a lot of different movements, social movements. Um, but I don't know if I'm active enough to consider myself an activist. But definitely a supporter of a lot of what I think are good causes.
1: So, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
2: Hmm. <sighs> Well, I think if you asked me that 10 years ago, it would have been to be successful or to succeed in in, in life or whatever. Uh, Nowadays, it's to be happy. I (laughs) want to get up and have a good day. And then, you know, when I lay down in bed, I want to think that I had a good day and that I'm happy with it.
1: So what is the biggest challenge or opportunity you're looking forward to in the next year or two?
2: Well, uh, I'm I'm currently searching for jobs, and um, I would I would love to I would love to start a postdoctoral fellowship. Uh, you know, I have a lot of ideas, uh, a lot of stuff that I bring from my PhD, uh, a lot of stuff that you know are not related to my PhD, but that I kind of think about them a lot, and I would love to put those in practice. Um, or if not a postdoctoral fellowship, I would also love to to work in a in a research position anywhere. Uh, and New Zealand is full of great places to work doing research, so. Uh, um, You know, I've I've, I've spent the last decade uh, learning how to be a researcher and now I'm ready to put that in practice.
1: And lastly, do you have any
2: advice for our listeners? Oh, be kind, be nice, love each other.
1: Thank you for that. Mawera?
0: Can't argue with that advice. (laughs) Mateus, this has been an absolute revelation to me. I'm so stoked that I got to learn a little bit about um, an insect that I've never really given any thought to, so other than to swap them away when, they're, when they've been around me, but um, now I want to go and learn a bit more about them thank you very much for joining us and thanks for um, casting a new lens on life, really, I really appreciate that.
2: Oh, thank you for having me, this was great, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here um, yeah, thanks a lot ooh,
0: Thank you, you've been listening
1: to Blowing ooh. Bones conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Katie Tungstall, Black Horse and the Cherry Tree. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Muera Karatai in Thakatani and from central Dunedin, we've been joined by Matthias de Tony. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. But I
4: said... Ooh. Uh-huh.